Welcome to Passion Life Church. This morning we're going to continue our LID series. When we were talking with Rex about coming back, he's like, I want to be a part of that series. So glad to have him here today. You know, Rex uh, used to play with the Boston Red Sox, and, uh, and, and he felt like God wanted him to move forward and really work on helping people. And he, he's a life coach, and he's a peak performance coach to a lot of celebrities. And Passion Life Church, I know you may got a little bit comfortable. I'm going to ask, would you stand up this morning? Come on, and let's give Rex Crane a great round of applause as he comes this morning to share with us. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone? Hug it out with two people before you sit down and tell them you look a little better than the last time I saw you. And then you can be seated. Hey, didn't our worship team do an amazing job this morning? Why don't we give them a big old clap? Why don't we give them a big round of applause? My wife turned to me and she goes, oh, my gosh, they're, they're doing incredible. Like, you could feel God in here. So that was really, really cool. Also, how many of you are grateful for our pastors, our leaders? Let's give them one more time a big old clap. I come from a family of, I'm okay to stand on this, I'm not going to fall over, okay. I didn't want to fall through. Uh, where my dad and my grandfather and my great-grandfather were all pastors. And so my admiration for people that are willing to really pour themselves into people's lives on a daily basis and help people live up in this down world really makes a great difference. And sometimes it's the speaker that gets more admiration. But I love to honor pastors because of the work, the energy, the effort they put into helping our lives really live up to what God's called us to be. Give them a clap one more time, please. I have my wife, she's here, she's, my wife is here with me today, my little girl, my little girl I think has Barbie in her front of her, so I won't have you stand. My wife, um, we're, we are really, I guess we're best friends, huh? We've really been best friends since the beginning. We get a chance to call each other husband and wife, but we're best friends. Katrina, stand up, my, one of my heroes in this life. I met her, she was facing a, a surgery where they were gonna take her heart out of her chest and they gave her very to no chance to live, little chance to no lift, chance to live. First time I met her and when we were talking, I had a vision Well, I talked to her. I said, you need to go have a surgery and God will use the doctors to heal you. And she had been wrought up in a kind of a background where they told her, if you seek medical attention, God won't heal you. We prayed for you and you're better. And she was facing a life and death scenario. And they stopped her heart. Four hours later, they put titanium in it and her heart lived. And then years later, we were able to marry. So it's kind of a cool little story. There, a little backdrop. That's like the E story right there, the E Hollywood story. Uh, give one more uh, credit. My friend, uh, you are here today. I want you to stand up for a minute. I was going to say something really, really cool, but I, I was starting to think what I wanted to say, Gary. But Gary, stand up for a minute. Gary trains athletes from all over the world. The fastest people in the NFL go to Gary. Whether you're the guy that just won the, have the fastest speed in the 40-yard dash, you're Deshaun Jackson, you're Chris Conte, the DBs, the wide receivers, the Olympians, they go to train here, right here in Temecula, Marietta area with Gary Cablon, one of the most phenomenal people I know on the planet. Give him a big old round of applause. <laughs> Gary's been my friend for a long time. That's why I call them out. Are you ready to go today? Okay, can I have the Bible verse that I'm going to use behind me? But before that, I want to use a, a story. In 2006, very few people have ever heard of a guy by the name of Jason McElwain. Uh, today, his story inspires millions and millions of people. He was born into a wonderful family in Greece, New York. And early on, he was diagnosed with a severe uh, case of autism. His communication and social skills would be really, really limited and hindered. And they were wondering, his parents were wondering, would my kid be able to have a social life, be able to perform well, do things? He was able to overcome through a lot of therapy and repetition. He learned some ways to learn and skills, so he was able to participate in all the things the other kids did. He wasn't in the slow classes, and he participated. Well, he wanted to try out for the basketball team, but because of some of his conditions that he'd had, he wasn't able to perform like the other kids were, so that they said, you know, you weren't able to make it this year, Jason. But he said, listen, if I can't make it, do you mind if I become the team manager? And they said, yeah, you can do that. He goes, can I wear a suit and a tie and show up for practice? And he goes, I don't know what you're going to do at practice, but okay, you can show up. So Jason would show up at practice day in and day out. 
at all the games. He was proud to give the water bottles, the towels. Every other person was like, just Jason's cool. Jason's cool. He was the kid that everyone just rooted for. Well, in the last day of the season, they had a big game that Friday night in Greece, New York, and it was homecoming. And the coach called them in earlier that day and said, Jason, would you like to trade in your shirt and tie tonight to be able to put on a uniform? And he goes, me? And he goes, yeah. Would you like to do it? There's, I'm going to put you in the game, but would you like to sit on the bench and be a part of the team because you are such a part of the team? Jason was pumped. He was telling everybody around school. He's running up and down in the halls. So everybody was excited to see Jason. Jason was so animated. But nobody could have guessed what was about to take place that night. About five and a half minutes left in the game. They were all met around there. They had a little timeout. People were all meeting. And people started cheering in the crowd. You could hear like, Jason. It's like almost like Rudy, Rudy. Jason, Jason. Well, under four minutes left in the game, the coach says, Jason. I want you to get in the game. And Jason goes, looks like, me? Talking to me? And he goes, no, coach, no, coach. And he goes, yeah, you, coach. Yeah, you, coach. The coach says, yeah, you. So he gets up and takes off. There's pandemonium breaks out inside of that auditorium or out of that building. He gets in the game, and the first time they throw him the ball, he's above the three-point line. Jason does not pass one bit. He turns around and shoots a turnaround three-pointer, hits nothing but the net. Plate will go, bananas, Jason's on fire. You know what I mean? It's like a big deal. But nobody would have guessed he would have scored 19 points in the next three minutes and 18 seconds. Each time down the court, Jason did not pass. Because what people did not know was when he would go to practices after practice was over, he would stay because he had keys, and he would practice his shooting. He had no one to ever help him practice passing. But he would shoot shots hoping that one day he might have a moment. How many know sometimes preparation and opportunity they meet? Someone say a moment. <sighs> Come on, you got moments you wish you wouldn't have had, and you can have moments that you would, would like to have. How many know that's true? There's moments you miss because you don't want to get involved in things, and then there's moments you maximize because you decided to throw and go all in. Someone say all in. Come on, touch the person next to you, say go all in. Nobody would have guessed that Jason, the kid that everybody thought was a little bit off, come on somebody, had been working on something in the dark, been building and process and working something, and now in the chance to be in the light, all of a sudden he explodes beyond the limits of his condition, scores over 19 points, he hits the game winner from the free throw line on his own line, all the way over, nothing but the bottom of the net, and somebody caught it on video. They sent it in overnight. He was a success. Hollywood bought the rights to his story. He was on every cover of different magazines. He was on Good Morning America, all because they were fascinated with this kid that wasn't supposed to break the lid and lift the limit. Come on, somebody. He decided that this was his moment, that everything he'd been working on, now an opportunity had presented itself. Ooh, you're going to like today. Come on, we're going to keep our, 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 our whole little structure we've been teaching. Come on, lifting the lid. Every one of us is born with lids. How many know that's true? Psalm 103.14 says, God knows your frame. That means he knows you got some weakness inside you. Come on, smile. That means, I'm just talking to the person next to you, not to you, just the person next to you. Come on, you can just touch them. They're the ones with all the weaknesses. They're the ones with all the limits. Come on. Every human being is born with a set of strengths and weaknesses. It's amazing, though, that God's interaction with you is never in relation to your weaknesses. It's always to in relation to who you can really be. He places demands on your potential because potential never takes shape and form till demands are placed on it. If you ever go to the beginning of the Bible, God created man in his image, and he said, be fruitful, rule over the fish, the cattle, the pigs. Come on, somebody. Have dominion on the earth. He placed demands on people's potential. Every miracle Jesus did in the New Testament, he caused people to go into an active state where they could not act before. He told people that could not walk to walk. We would say that's insensitive. He told a blind guy to go two miles to go get his sight with no blind dog. 
Come on, the animal rights people will be bothered. Come on, somebody. Jesus told a dead person to get up. Come on, somebody. They'd say, you're insane. He always called what is not as though it really was. God is speaking big things into your life because where you are is not all you're capable of being and becoming and giving. Hopefully, I'm going to talk to a group of people today that were never willing to settle for where they are, who they are, and what they can give. But you have a desire inside you that I can grow, and this is a moment that my life can become more than it already is. If you believe that, give the Lord a clap and a shout. Oh, this is going to be good this morning. I, I can feel it. Come on. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 7. Why don't we read it together? It says this. Um, okay, we start at verse 4. Do we have verse 5? What's that? Okay, there you go. All right. Greatly desiring to see you. Let's read this together. Stay it out loud with me. Come on. This will be like hooked on phonics. It'll be good. The Sylvan Learning Center. Being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Next verse. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. Next verse. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Let's say those last three real strong. I have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Just say it one more time. I have a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Ooh, this is going to be good. So here you have a little backdrop story. Let me take you in the commentary. You have a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. He wrote 14 books in the New Testament. He's in jail. He's about to be killed for his faith by a guy by the name of Nero. Nero would be like a modern-day Hitler. He was the first ISIS member. He was chopping off Christians' heads. He was massacring them. He was trying to make a public spectacle of anybody that would call themselves a Christian. In fact, they never called themselves Christian at that time. They said they were of the way. I know Oprah says there's many ways, but in my Bible says there's only one way. Come on, I ain't mad at Oprah either, by the way. Just saying. Paul is writing to his young protege. He's young, and he's been given a massive responsibility, and he's overly cautious and concerned and fearful because of his lids or his limits. In fact, the fear is so prolific in the society where he's pastoring a little church called Ephesus, where you get the book of Ephesians. He's so scared, he's thinking about quitting. He's thinking of going back and putting his comfort and his convenience ahead of his calling. You ever been there? Or, oh, I'm just going to be here because it's more comfortable. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm going to settle here because it's more comfortable. Oh, I'm going to do this because it's more convenient to me. Don't push me to have to sacrifice anything, to give anything. If you want to deal with me, deal with me in my box. Anybody ever done that before besides me? Oh, I'm the only guilty one. Paul writes this letter to him because he's concerned he might go back. See, he wasn't raised by a daddy. He was raised by his mom and grandma because his daddy wasn't a believer. His daddy was a self-made. He was a Greek. He was a self-made man. This is the way we build ourselves. But his mom and his grandma were God-built people. Come on, somebody. How many know self-life is resolves down to nothing? It, there's, it dooms you. But a God-shaped life, the Scripture says, can be a flourishing tree. So he finds himself writing this note with more passion and personality than Paul usually mentions. Paul's usually really abrupt. He's like a lecturer, like a teacher, and he can be really strong. But this time he writes with his heart on his sleeve because he knows he's about to be killed for his faith. But he doesn't just want to deposit something 
to him. He wants to deposit something in him that will allow him to break through the lids of what's around him and what's in him so he can become who God said he can become. Because Timothy had lids, he had limits, he had caps around him. What do you mean? He had people that had been believers longer than him that were talking about, you're too inexperienced. You're too young. Come on, somebody. You ain't married. You did not go on Christian mingle yet. Come on, somebody. How could you be a pastor? Come on, smile with me. Come on. He's got people around him that say, you know what? You, you, you still got pimples on your face. You're too young. You can't lead me. I'm 50. You're 18. He's got people around him saying, you don't got the gifting that so-and-so has. Why, you're not gifted like Barnabas. You're not gifted like Titus. You're not gifted like Tychius. Who are you to lead us? That's what he has around him. But then he's got the threats of Nero saying, I'm going to kill you just like I'm going to kill Paul if you continue to build your church. So he's got all these fears, all these things, and Paul writes to him something powerful. He says, before he ever gets into the fear and everything else, he says, I, I want to write to you and bring joy to your life. How many know joy is chosen? Let me just say that. Come on, joy is chosen. The word actually enjoy is to bring joy to. If you're to enjoy anything in your life, you got to show up and bring it. People are as happy as they make up their mind to be. How many know that's true? In our world, on that 15, 215, 210, you'll find a lot of reasons to not have joy. If you don't make up your mind that you're going to have a lot of joy in your life, you're going to be miserable. Don't let the enemy steal your joy. Jesus said, let no man, John 16, 22, take your joy. Because where your joy is, your strength is. Paul told Timothy, he goes, listen, I want to take you back to your spiritual DNA. Why? Because Timothy was so concerned about his limits, his fears, what he was feeling. Come on, somebody. That fears were paralyzing, sterilizing, and polarizing him. That's good right there. Paralyzing how much he would use of himself, give of himself, donate of himself, contribute of himself. Sterilizing how much of his heart he would show people. And it was making him isolated where he was thinking about and having conversations with people to talk about maybe leaving the church and going back home to where it was safer. Paul writes to him and says, I want you to remember your spiritual DNA. That was first in your grandma, come on somebody, and in your mama. Some say, I got it from my mama. I'll check it out. Some of you got that anyways, the rest of you, Whatever. Listen too much Hillsong, whatever. Not no black eyed peas. It's in the Bible. Your spiritual DNA. He was thinking where he came from, his weakness. He was so preoccupied with himself. Obsession with self became an idol. We're not careful in America, modern-day Christianity in America will make an idol out of your needs rather than you conforming to God's plan. It's all about your plan and trying to bring God with it. Jesus didn't teach that. Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. Seek first his kingdom. Come on, somebody. Let's work the works of God, then everything will work out good. Just, just that's what the Bible says. So Paul says, I want you to remember your spiritual DNA and the faith of where you came from. I started studying uh, racehorses recently, and I found that racehorses just don't show up at the Kentucky Derby. Someone's not in the middle of Laredo, Texas, come on somebody, with their Justin boots on and their Wrangler whatever pants on, and they're riding through Go, ooh, man, this horse is fast. Let's go to the Kentucky Derby. That doesn't happen. They're bred... For to be champions. In fact, they study the blood experts. They call them blood experts. They have the trainers. They go back and they study horses' lineage 50 to 60 years because they're about to invest when they breed them over a half a million dollars into a championship horse. There's no guarantee that that horse is going to become a champion, but they know that champions aren't just developed on the outside, they're built on the inside. Come on, I'm going to talk to you. You're going to like this. Watch. Watch how powerful this is. 
They go and study the father. They'll go and they might even realize they have 10 generations of champions inside of that horse. They want to study the father and the grandfather, the great-grandfather, their size, their speed, their scope, their stamina, their strength, how fast they can move, their agility and their ability. Because that tells a lot what's in that blood, and if they breed and put that blood inside of that new colt, though the colt might come out, and at first, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a little horse that's just born, they're all wobbly and funky. Come on, somebody. They got a lot of lids, a lot of limitation. Come on, somebody. In fact, they have a glaze on their eyes, and they don't even can hardly see. They can see about 10 feet in front of them. You ever seen a brand new horse? They don't know where. They got to be led everywhere. To the casual observer, it might look like its owners made a really bad investment because it does not look like anything or resemble anything like a championship horse. But the owner's never concerned about the initial weakness or limitation or lids it has because he's known that he's invested in the power of a bloodline and in the power of that DNA of that horse at some point has the capability and power to break out of being an ordinary horse and to step in to being a champion that is called to be. Watch how powerful this is. Woo! Watch this. If you think about your own natural bloodline, you were born with some weaknesses, some limitations, some weirdness. Every one of us were. Come on, somebody. Well, daddy didn't talk. I don't talk. Come on, somebody. Mama was moody. Now I'm funky. Come on, somebody. Mama walked like a duck. I walk like a duck. Come on, somebody. Dad was a walker. I'm a walker. Come on, somebody. It's amazing that we inherit all these different things. Well, my daddy was like that. My grandfather was like that. My great-grandpa was like that. But we don't study our spiritual DNA. The Bible says when you touch Jesus, the power of his blood cleansed you from a defeated Adam blood where you were known as a sinner, and it made you righteous. That now the blood means the life of God is now on the inside of you. Have you ever studied your spiritual DNA? Your father spoke the sun into being. He spoke and there was a moon. He spoke and there were stars and he called them by name. He created the Himalayas. He spoke and there was Hawaii. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about your father. If you looked at your spiritual brother, Jesus, the one that redeemed you and paid the price for your sin and sickness and bought you out of hell's kitchen. Come on, somebody and made you a citizen of heaven, he whooped and defeated the devil, and hell could not hold him. Well, if his life is now inside you, can hell hold you? The powers in the DNA. If I take you to your spiritual ancestors, Moses parted a Red Sea, three million people walked through. Come on, somebody. Daniel spent a night with lions. Come on, somebody. And God shut their mouth. There's divine protection in your bloodline. Nehemiah rebuilt a wall when everybody said it was humanly impossible. Odds were stacked against him. Building and creating against all odds is in your DNA. Someone need to get Lamar, come on, Kendrick Lamar song. It's up in my DNA. Come on, somebody. If you recognize what's in your spiritual genes. But the enemy's whole goal is to make you conscious of a culture and community around you. And your weaknesses and limitation, so you become fearful and intimidated. And the Bible says people's heart gives out because of fear. Jesus said at the end, you got cultural hypnosis. You got both sides of the media trying to paint a political picture to get you wrapped up and morphed in that you no longer think about God's purpose. You got to think what side of the aisle you sit on rather than fighting for people, you fight the people. Because we lost sight of our DNA. Ooh, come on, somebody. Watch how powerful this is. Watch how powerful. Samson, come on. Samson lost all of his strength, but he prayed again. It's in your DNA to conquer more at the end than you did at the beginning. Queen Esther rose up and put her life on the line to save God's people. Heroism is in your DNA. See, people love to write you off. They want to judge you based on where you've been, what you've done. They want to judge you based on your weaknesses, based on your limitation, your lack of this, your lack of that. You're not enough this, you're not enough that. You failed in that relationship, you failed in that marriage, you failed financially there, and they want to build a case against you. In fact, the enemy is known, the adversary, as an accuser. His goal is to make you think something's wrong with you. 
Because the more conscious of you are of what's wrong with you, you'll reproduce what's wrong rather what God says is right. Paul talks to Timothy, says, don't lose sight of your spiritual DNA. It's in the power of your blood. Do you realize that you got the DNA of God to overcome every lid, every weakness, every limitation? Well, I'd like to believe that, but I've... I've really gone through a lot of loss in my, for the last couple years. That might be really true. But the reality is if you focus on what you've lost, you're going to feel like you're losing. Because whatever you focus on, you feel. It becomes your idea of reality, and that becomes the lid that limits God's ability. Remember, the Bible says strongholds, the enemy works to get you to buy into inferior realities where you believe a lie, and that becomes the lid of how much God can flow in you and through you. The good news is God gave you the key that you can open or loose that lid. Come on, somebody. And what has been doesn't always have to remain because we all get what we tolerate. That's a tweetable moment if you want. Isn't it true we all get what we tolerate? If you can tolerate being unhealthy, you'll be unhealthy. If you can tolerate a marriage without passion, you'll have it. If you can tolerate just doing average, ordinary things, that's what you'll get. If you can tolerate being tormented by fear, you'll live tormented by fear, even though freedom is available to you. If you want to be, if you want to, you tolerate conformity to systems and everything else other than to God, then you'll live controlled by the ideas and the opinions and dreams of other people rather than the ideas and the plans and the purposes of God that can exceed every limit and lid that you got in your life. Whatever you focus becomes your idea of reality. This is powerful. How are we doing? Are we everybody over here with me? All right, watch. You leaning in a little bit? Okay, okay all right. So he says, Paul, Timothy, he says, Timothy, don't remember. Don't forget. Don't lose sight of where you came from. It's in your DNA. Someone say, it's in my DNA. Come on, son, the faith of God's in my DNA. This is going to help someone because next time you feel a panic attacks, next time you feel fear, next time you're intimidated to buy in that I'm going to always be losing, that I'm never going to get ahead, that I'm never going to be able to purchase a home, that I'm never going to beat this sickness, you're not going to go and take uh, advice and counsel from outside things. You're going to go, wait a second, in my DNA is healing. In my DNA is peace. In my DNA is wisdom. Maybe I come from generations of foolishness, but in my DNA, Jesus is my wisdom. I can make a good decision. I'm not overcome by the evil of the past. I can over the, overcome the evil with good. Why? Because if we don't have that kind of a mentality, then we're slaves to our surroundings. And the Bible says, the one that I read says, greater is God within us. As a believer, anybody a believer? I know we have a lot of unbelieving believers in the world now. That's actually pretty good. Isn't that true? A lot of unbelieving believers. 83% of the people in America right now call themselves believers. I don't know. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Next time the addiction tries to talk louder, come on, than God's freedom. Wait, no, 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 no. I got freedom in my DNA. I got sanity in my DNA. Come on. I got wholeness in my DNA. I got favor in my DNA. I don't got to struggle. I don't got to fight people to get position. I got favor in my DNA. I didn't do anything for it. God gave it to me by virtue of relationship. I delight myself in him. He gives me the desire of my heart. It's in my DNA. Somebody needs to hear this right now. Well, you don't know what I'm saying, but it's not. if it's not in your DNA, don't accept it. Because whatever you agree with, you empower. As long as Peter focused on Jesus, he could walk on the water. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but that had to be a really cool moment. People always talk about the fact that he sank. I don't know too many people that have ever walked on water, period. Go try it in your backyard. See if it worked. That is pretty cool. Come on, somebody. But how did he do it? He was locked on to a source. Once he became familiar with what was around him, it got in him. And he succumbed to it, even though he had the opportunity and at one point was on top of it. Some of you are going to regain what you now succumb to. You're going to get back on top of because you're going to remember it's in your DNA, the blood. You overcome by the blood of Jesus. Someone say the blood. 
Come on, I know we don't talk about it this day because that's like an old saying. It won't keep people in church. There's so much power in that blood. That blood delivers you. It cleanses you. It protects you. It redeems you. It makes a way where there is no way. It shuts the door on the devil. It breaks addiction off people. breaks fear off people. It breaks death off people. Don't tell me there's no power in that blood. He shed that blood to get your mind back, to get your body back, to get your life back. That blood was shed for your future. Don't minimize that. Come on. You have access to everything only because of that blood. Man, thank you. Sometimes just wake up, even if you don't feel, thank you for doing that for me. Thank you. Man. Says, yo, 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 Timothy. Okay, hey, since we're going to start there on the bloodline, let's not trip here, we're going to go. Okay, I want you to stir up the gift. The word stir up actually means awaken back up to. He'd fallen asleep on his assets. We got too many people sitting on their assets. Come on, somebody. Pretty funny. Whatever. What do you mean by that? I believe a genius is in everybody. God deposited something in you that he wants to increase your life with. People go around these days, well, it's my gift. It's my talent. No, 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 no. It might be in your entrustment, but it's to serve other people and enrich other people. God might make you let, have you make a living off it or it may not. But the reality is, if you don't stir up and use that gift, number one, I'm not being a good steward of what God gave me. Second of all, someone's going to miss out on the benefit and the grace that is a tied to that gifting. Paul said to Timothy, stop letting other people's opinions talk you from using, talk you out of using what I put in your hand. Why? Because there's always something in your hand that will create something in your future. Let me say that again. God never leaves anybody without something that they can have in their hand that can increase them in their future. The gift makes room, the talent, the ability. Easton La Chapelle, most of you probably don't even know him. This young boy was only 14 years old. His friend needed a prosthetic arm. The prosthetic arm cost $100,000. Most people don't got an extra hundred grand laying around. So he goes, well, what am I going to do? He lived in a little small part of Colorado. He didn't have a radio shack within 40 miles. He started getting on YouTube and he had Legos. So he started creating stuff and started making little ideas. How can I create an arm? Because i got to find a way. And it stuck with him. It may, i got to find a way to, because my, my friend needs an arm. My friend needs an arm. My friend needs an arm. Watch how powerful this is. The questions you got to think, someone needs something. Someone needs something. What's that in? That's that gift inside you talking, waiting for you to develop it and work it and build it. Not bury it, but build it. Come on, someone say build it. I know that takes engagement and work, but work is spoken 524 times in the Bible. There's a reason why. Because desire accomplished is sweet to your soul. God's a worker. He worked six days and was like, bam, it's good. Check that out. The attitude towards God, towards work. Ooh, that was a cool son. Bam, that's good. Come on, somebody. Ooh, I'm going to make some cattle, some big old freckled cows today. Bam, that's good. Come on, somebody. I'm going to make some bumblebees. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to freak out mankind because they're going to say it's actually no way a bumblebee can fly because its body's bigger than its wing. And I'm just going to do that to show them that I'm God and I can, and their purpose will override their design. Bam, that's good. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I'm going to make an olive branch. Come on, somebody. I'm going to make a a cherry tree. That's good. He took time to enjoy his work. Think about how many lost songs, skills, gifts, things, abilities, writing abilities are lost in a graveyard where we never gave ability to those things. People never gave ability. They never gave responsibility to those things. Better word. Therefore, they died. In a premature state, how many people missed out on things? Easton La Chapelle, he developed a prosthetic arm. 
He sells it now for $2,000. He disrupted the whole entire medical system that was paying. They could have charged $2,000, but they want to get rich off people's infirmities. This young man said, I got a technology idea. I want to do something to help humanity. So he was working while other people were abusing people of it. As a result today, he's got Microsoft now. He's got NASA. He's got Tony Robbins all invested in him. He could care less what kind of money. He wears funny sandals. He just cruises out there. He's 20 years old and he sells prosthetic arms better than you can get anywhere else because he said I had to be responsible because people needed it stir up your gift well I I tried out and I I was going to be a singer on the worship team but didn't go the way I planned come on somebody I thought I was going to sound like Whitney Houston I sounded like more like it wasn't come on somebody why not try again Beyonce tried out in a group I don't know if you know this, years ago, she tried out in a group, and they said, you're not very good. She's probably really glad that she did not listen to those people. Everybody else in her girl group quit except for her, and now she's Queen B. All I am just saying. Stir up your gift. Where do you stir it up at? You start right where you're at. Get around other people that are hungry to develop something. It'll get on you too, by the way. Get around other people that aren't just resting on their laurels. You have something. Find a way to serve it. I started my grandfather's church. When I came out of professional baseball, nobody let me speak. They were afraid I was going to cuss and say more four-letter words. Come on, somebody. They were like, he he was going to say faith. He was going to say another F word. Come on, somebody. All I knew is I had a gift, but I had to do something with it. Remember that energy fuel? You feel like, I have something I could bake. Come on, to give yourself to baking. Maybe your cookies could change somebody. Wow, that's so silly. Tell that to Wally Amos. He left his career as a financial advisor because he believed in cookies. As a result, he made $100 million because he believed he could bake some freaking cookies. And put smiles on people's face. Dave, Chappelle, Dave LaChapelle's mama took him to a New York comedy club. Did They booed him off the stage at 17. Who boos a kid? They lied about his age to get him in. They keep failing and failing and failing. So he said, no one would listen to my jokes. So I went in Central Park and told jokes to the homeless people. He said, all I had to know is I had to do something with what I was given. The more he told them, the better he became. Tiger Woods didn't become Tiger Woods playing golf once a week. Come on, somebody. Stir up the gift. Someone say, stir up the gift. Paul says, Timothy, come on. Stir up the gift. You got ability to teach. Stir it up. I started my grandpa's church. They wouldn't let me talk, so you know what I did? I had the keys. I was a janitor. I went from playing baseball and making a lot of money when they put my face in the newspaper to going in this church and scrubbing toilets. Five bucks an hour, big financial jump. If you don't believe me, ask my agent. He was there and now he wasn't there. <laughs> Bless me, this penitentiary's heart. <laughs> But in the middle of the night, you know what? Nobody would listen to me. So I would go and I'd go in the room and there'd be about 2,500 empty seats. And I'd go motivate the chairs. I started speaking to the chairs, the chandeliers. I'd try to make them laugh. Come on, somebody. Start throwing water. Come on, somebody. I was trying Catholic rituals, anything I could to stir it up. I didn't try putting somebody in a box and then me be in a box and then talk to them in a box. And that. I figured too many people in a box. I don't want to live in a box. You start where you are. Little did I know, seven months after that, I'd be walking down the street. A guy pulls his car off the side of the road with all these police escorts. Some guy rolled down his window. A leader in the free world goes, who are you? Well, I used to be a baseball player, but now I'm just like Rex the janitor. Who are you? And I knew who he was. He goes, why are you? I go, why you ask? I thought at first he was like an IRS agent. I'm like, well, am I late on my taxes? He goes, he goes, no, 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 I'm passing by. God told me I'm supposed to have dinner with you. There's big things. we got to talk. Police, escorts, black vans, no license plate. Like, people disappear on that stuff. <laughs> we ended up in the Marriott Hotel that night. Three weeks later, I was doing the peace process with Benjamin Netanyahu and King Hussein in Amman, Jordan. Life can take you somewhere, but when you start working your gift, it opens doors. You start attracting opportunity. Opportunities built on accessibility. Talking to a guy who played for the New York Giants yesterday. We do a big podcast this week. And I was telling him, I go, what made you great? He says, number one, I was obsessed. 
He says, I was obsessed. He said, I used that wrong until I met Jesus. But because I was obsessed, I had tunnel vision that I was going to develop something until it became so good, people were going to pay me for it. Man, if we had that kind of excellence, every, every, how many of you ever go to the Genius Bar at Apple? Anybody ever been to the Gen, Genius Bar? A couple of you. Everyone else buys Apple, but we settle for the front of the store. If you ever get to the back of the store, they have a thing called the Genius Bar. That's where they connect with you. They personalize your equipment for you. They give you special deals and everything else, and they give you an experience that's not cosmetic, but it's very authentic. Every person in here should have their own Genius Bar because every one of you has something to serve somebody else's life to improve the quality. All we got to do is put it into play and begin stirring it up. Well, I don't have the education. Maybe you don't, but God's big enough to, if you start working what you can, where you are, while you can, it's amazing the space that he can open up for your life. Go ahead, give the Lord a clap and a shout right there. Okay, watch, five minutes, watch. Stir it up, Timothy. You gotta stir it up. You can't depend on the pastors to stir it up. Can't depend on the other people to encourage you. You gotta take charge, Timothy. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. This is your life. This is your, you can't, you can't neglect. This is your life. Come on. You got to do, you got you to do, you do something with what you got. Someone just touched the person next to you. You do something with what you got. Well, it's so great. Praise the Lord, I got a gift. It's always amazing to me. T.D. Jake said it the best. I heard him speak one time and he said this very thing. He says, people always want, God, just pray for the anointing to come on me. Just pray, anointing, come on me. We sing songs, anointing, fall on me. Some people know what anointing is, some people don't. That means God's supernatural power. He says, you want the anointing to come on you? Start serving people with what you got. The anointing only operates when you serve other people with what you got. If you're not willing to serve, don't ask to be anointed. Don't be mad at me. I'm just repeating the bishop. Come on, somebody. God says, here's the ingredients. Here's what you need. These are my last words for you to fight the good fight of faith like I did. I kept the faith. Now you're talking to a guy who's writing from a prison cell. Come on, they didn't have three square meals a day. Come on, somebody. He wasn't lifting weights with the other people. Come on, somebody. He was writing. He didn't have nice pens. Come on, somebody. He didn't have computer access. He's writing. Tough to see. And he's writing these words with tears because he kept stressing his emotion in it. Here's the ingredients you need. I fought the good fight. I did it, Timothy. Model me. I did it. I did it. I was left in the middle of the sea. They pulled the skin off my back three times, 38 stripes. Still here. I got bit by a snake and I shook it off. That'd be a good thing. That's the thing. Taylor Swift got her song, Shake It Off. Come on, somebody. You all get bit by venomous, poisonous attitudes all day long. Come on, somebody. You got to have that in your mentality. I'm going to shake it off. Come on, somebody. They might stuff, they might point me with their venom, but I ain't gonna let it operate in me. Come on, somebody. You can't offend me. Watch. Timothy, here's what you need. You need a spirit of sound mind, love, and power. Sound mind. Notice he didn't say a safe mind. Our lid that we like in America is safety. Be careful. Cautious. Ooh, don't be too extreme. Don't be radical. Don't show too much passion. People will think you're off. When do we become culturally hypnotized that it's wrong to be ourselves and happy? Who told us? It's amazing. If you walk into a Starbucks and, you, and they say, how are you doing? You go, oh, my gosh, I'm doing amazing. Why do you have to have so many reasons to feel good when you have no reasons to feel bad? You feel bad? Oh, okay, cool. I got cancer? Oh, okay, I got to understand. Oh, I got a little bit of depression? Oh, okay, I understand. I feel good. What's wrong with you? You need a sound mind. Someone say a sound mind. That, that means save mind. Save mind thinks with purpose. I can help you because this is an area you can use this day, tonight, tomorrow, this week to grow. Can I help you just for a minute with something that I think I, I got something on? There's a scripture I've never heard in my life. And I'm not going to make it about a dream. I'm going to make it about you using something right now to live with a saved mind, a sound mind. Because I don't know about you, your mind can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. 
you don't rise higher than your thoughts. Come on, you live in the world your thoughts make. And most people don't direct their mind. They let everything around them decide that they're going to think about. That devil is going to offer you a lot of wrong thinking. You don't have to accept his offer. You can politely or, no, I don't even say violently decline. What do you mean? Here's what will give you an, attitude, an idea. Proverbs 23, 19 says, guide your mind. Someone say guide my mind in the way. You ever read that scripture? I hadn't come across it. I think I've read it a bunch of times. I never saw it, saw it. Guide my mind in the way. The word guide means to direct my mind. Like you direct a golf ball, direct it in the way. The word way means the best course of action. How many of us are going to walk into this week, this week, and going, I sure hope it's a good week. Of course, we all want it to be a good week. How many of hope's a great motivator, but really bad strategy? Anybody found that out yet? Or have you not had enough pain? Come on, and by Friday, you're like, please, what in the world? Give me some, give me some medication. Give me something. Numb me. So why don't we don't do that to ourselves? What if we guide our minds? So this is what I do, and this maybe can be helpful to you. My wife hates it because I send it to myself on a phone three times a day to remind me what I'm doing with my mind and what I'm focused because we live in a world of aimless distraction. We're generalists in a lot of things, but we're specialists in very little. We dabble our way through life, never deciding to master anything. So we're always changing relationships, jobs, churches, things. We're running around trying to get it to settle the confusion that every one of us feels because we've not decided to take in charge of our mind and direct it in the best course of action that God has for us. What if all that suffering could stop? Here's how we do it. Number one, I say this, and you could do either one or three. This is what I choose. I'm going to choose three things I'm going to live out this week. What are three values I want to live out this week? That might be energy. It might be passion. It might be generosity. It might be gratitude. It might be thanksgiving. It might be health. It might be love. I choose three things. If you don't choose, life will choose for you. I choose three things, and I write them down. I'm on my phone. I would show you. And then I say, well, why would I choose those three? Because when you have enough reasons, it changes the way you engage. If you have enough reasons to have a better marriage the next six months, your marriage is going to be incredible. I asked this to a woman there. I said, tell me why your marriage is going to be better the next six months than it was the last six months. Well, I pray it will. So you don't have enough reasons, huh? So then when it gets tough, you won't have a way or find a way because you'll just give in to the temptation. Well, maybe we're not in love anymore. Or when they give you an opportunity to give, you'll pass by. Well, I, I just don't think it's the, I just don't feel, I just don't feel. You don't have enough reasons that if you give, you're more blessed to give than receive. And you'll cure a lot of your unhappiness just by being generous to other people. And if you live with a motto, live to give, it will stop all the suffering inside of your head. You got reasons, you find a way or make a way. Buster Douglas, who got knocked out by Mike Tyson. You remember that guy in Japan? He's the only guy that ever got up and knocked Mike out. First guy that knocked Mike Tyson out. Mike was unstoppable. Mike was demonized, eating people's ears, all kinds of stuff. Buster wasn't even lying for the fight, but something happened. Buster was living homeless. Nobody knew he was homeless with no money, and he was sick, and his buddy was dying of cancer, and they didn't have any money to get him treatment. He took the fight, and he had just been homeless for a couple days. He took the fight with little money coming, but that money could pay for his friend. So he had enough reasons. He said, when I got hit by Mike, it hurt like hell. He said, I was on the canvas and it hurt. All I knew was the flashes in my mind were, I got to get up because my friend needs me. I got to, I got to, I got to, I have to, I have to. It wasn't a should, it was a must. The difference in your life are the shoulds versus your must. If you should pray, you should give, you should forgive, you should love, you should exercise, you should eat this way, you should all over yourself. That was worth your gas money. You know it was. <laughs> Did Jesus ever say, I should be about my father's business? I should go to the cross? I should forgive you? I must go to the Father. I must rise again. I must be about my father's business. We must work the works of God. Jesus only talked about must, never shoulds. Because should implies, I know I should, but my, it depends on my feelings. They're in control. Joyce Meyer said it the best when I was around her, probably like 1997 when God really touched her life. In fact, 
A friend of mine prayed for her. She flew into my arms. True story. She said this, you can either serve the God of the Bible or the God of your feelings. Which one? That was an eye-opener to me because feelings, I just thought, well, that must be what I have to live in. How many of you can direct your feelings by directing your mind? Okay, two minutes, watch this. So I say, what are the reasons for living these three things or one thing out? Just choose one thing. What's one thing you're going to live out this next seven days? How cool would that? You can start praying about it. Well, if I live out generosity, why would the reasons be? Well, I'd give more. I'd be more aware of other people's needs. I'd help other people. I would enrich people. I would look for to be a blessing rather than to get. I'd look to give. How many know that make you so much more present and engaged in your daily life? How much more you be so much more pleasant and lovable to be around? How much you know that you'll be much more of a target and a magnet for blessings coming your way because you're looking to give rather than to get? How much more you'll give to people rather than use people? Isn't that a better version of you? Wow. And then I go, what would I need to believe to beget that? I'm going to believe I'm abundant, not poor. That would be a great belief because I say, well, if here's the reasons. If I chose to believe, what's one belief? Because you can only become what you believe. What's one belief that I would choose to believe? I believe I'm abundant. I'm generous. I have more than enough. Don't inventory what you don't have. Inventory what you do have that God can multiply. Jesus didn't get tripping on little lack of stuff. He said, okay, this is what God can use to multiply. Oh, this is what God can use to multiply. Imagine if you and your wife or you and your children go, we don't got a lot extra this week, but we do got five cents. This is what God's going to use to multiply. God don't look at the size. He just looks, if you got the ability and availability, you could put something in his hand to multiply. I hope you got that. It's powerful stuff. So he says, he says, all right, so if you go to, you have a belief. This is what I got to believe. I'm generous. Now, how would I act as if I'm already this person? That's faith. Act as if. How would I already act as if I'm a generous person? How would I already act as if I was a, a kind or a grateful person? How would I act? This keeps me every day having a saved mind, a sound mind, my mind working for me. And then he said, a spirit of love. Someone say love. Someone say love. Think about it. We're driven from love to love. You're most alive when you per- pursue it and chase it. You're most empty without it. Amplify love. Come on, someone say amplify love. Come on, someone say amplify love. You're wired for connection. Remember Tom Hanks when he got ditched on that island for four years being a federal ex- uh, FedEx agent when he got stranded in that, what was the movie called, Castaway? He didn't know what to do, but to keep himself sane, he made himself a volleyball Wilson, and he could talk to the volleyball. How many know you're wired to communicate and connect with people? Selfishness in every one of us will say, you know what? Choose disconnection because you could get hurt. Love says choose connection. Be vulnerable. Don't let that stop your heart from living. Don't hide the best part of yourself because somebody needs your love. Who's one person that would come to your mind right now that needs your love this week? Think for a minute. What's one person? You had a great mind. Who's one person that's starving and craving your love? What's one action you could bring that, that would be able to do that? What's one action? Could you buy them diapers? Could you help them out? Could you, could you just say a kind word? Can you let them know you're praying? Could you show up at a hospital? Imagine you're most alive, no matter your background, your political stance, your economic stance, your ethnic stance. When you're loving, you're most alive in God. The Bible says don't merely love and, word and talk. Love in action. Come on, someone say turn my love on. Come on, somebody. Slap the person next. You say, turn your love on. Come on. Someone say, turn it on, turn it on, turn it on. And love isn't I like you. Love is I choose you. Don't got time to go into that, but love is not I like you. I like you is a preference. I choose you is a purpose. Jesus chose you and you are his enemy to give you love. His relationship with you, he's already decided how it's going to go. I already chose to love you. What you do with it is your choice. You can reject it. You can accept it. But it doesn't change what God's already decided. My relationship with you is I choose you. Not I like you if you like me enough to obey the Ten Commandments. While you were his enemy, he chose you. Let's adopt the same mindset of Jesus. Come on, somebody. And here's finally, so many of these, he says, spirit of power. Someone say power. Someone say power. Someone say power. I did this the other day. I won't do it. I had a baseball guy, a pro baseball guy, stand up in a room, and I had him. I said, "Pull your arms out," and I said, "Resist me." And I went to push his arms down, and he's big dude. He's a catch. He's a catcher. Big big ball guy. And he and I I couldn't even push his arms out. He's too big for me. And then I go, "Okay, stand right there. Hold your arms." I was a bunch in front of a bunch of people. I started, started, and I said, "Start saying these statements." And I say, um, "I'm not enough. I'm not enough." 
I usually lose. I usually lose. I usually fake people out because I don't want them to see the real me. I had them start saying these over and over and over again. I said, now resist me, and I pushed him down with hardly any effort. He lost all of his power in a moment. I don't have time to do it or else I'd do it right now. I'd probably take you because you're the biggest guy right there. But watch how powerful this is. Then I said, put your arms back out again. He put his arms back out again. Everyone in the room was like, how did that happen? Because they saw me like there's no way I could push this guy's arms down. He's six foot four, buff, bald. Come on, somebody. Almost just like me, as you know. Is it that funny? And then I watched, I said, it said, I can do all things through Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm the head. I'm powerful. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Come on, somebody. The favor of God surrounds me like a shield. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. The Lord, I'm loved. I'm lovable. I'm lovable. I went to push his arms down, and his arms bounced off. And they were tripping. They go, how in the world? His power fluctuated only by one thing. The power that he was able to release in his body only by what he said and the way he thought about himself in the moment. Anybody ready to lift some lids? The Bible says God is able to do more than you ask or think according to his power that works within you. How many know God's powers wants you to work it? Come on, somebody. Am I going to work his power? But to do that, watch. You watch, you do something. And I end with this little story. There was a guy by the name of B.P. Birkeland. B.P. Birkeland, at seven years of age, developed polio. And at polio, they didn't have a cure at that time, so his mother used to put him in a wooden box. Well, she would do, like, all the chores around the house. He watched his brothers and sisters play, but he became paralyzed after that diagnosis within six months. He wanted to do all those things. He just couldn't from the waist down. You ever wanted to do something and you felt like you were powerless to do so? Well, he was in the box one day. His mother set out a mirror in front of him, and he saw Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to run and walk. He goes, Mama, Mama, come check this out. Jesus said, I'm going to walk and run. She said, oh, bless your heart. That's so nice. Obey your mommy. That's what God wants you to do. But he said, at that moment, I knew that I had to do something to get out of the box that God couldn't do it for me. So he said, I started to move a little bit and started to rock. His mom goes, what are you doing? He goes, I got to get out of the box because God said I was going to run and walk. Oh, no, no, BP, that wasn't God. Just be good. We'll go to Sunday school on Sunday. But every day he started rocking. Come on, somebody. He did, every day he would rock, 8 years old, 9 years old, 10 years old. By the time he was 12, he started getting grounded. I don't know how you ground the paralyzed kid. Like, yo, you can't go outside. Duh. He would get, honestly, he'd get grounded because he kept tipping over his box. He would rock his box till it tipped over, and his parents would get so frustrated at him. But he kept rocking. See, some of you have prayed when it's tough. Some of you have given when it's really tough. Some of you are trying to be loving and forgiving people that have screwed you over and really abused you and done you wrong. Come on, somebody. And you're building muscle. You think it's not working because you can't see it all. It didn't make sense to Job everything he was going through for nine months. But God said, I'm going to give you double. Come on, somebody. I'm going to give you double. Job's suffering. That whole book was only nine, six to nine months long. But it says God knew his intended outcome. See, you're building muscle. At the age of 16, he knocked over that box. And he climbed up to the kitchen table and tried to get himself up. And his legs fell from underneath him. And he thought, you know, for the first time, from age 7 to 16, maybe it was just a fantasy. But he said, I owe it. I got to give it everything I got to get back in that box. His mother yelled at him to get in the box, by the way. He got in that box. He started rocking. 16 years old, he's rocking a box. Go look him up. Started rocking. His mom says, stop rocking. He says, no, I'm getting out of this box. I'm not going back. This lid is this too contained. It's too small for me. I'm rocking. Stop it, BP. Stop it. You're going to get grounded. You can ground me. What else are you going to do to me? I got to get out of this box. Sometimes you got to get a little radical in your life. Because if you don't change, things ain't going to change. It's not incidental. It's not accidental. It's intentional. Come on, somebody. Things aren't going to get better until you decide to get better. Things aren't going to grow until you decide to grow. Weeds are automatic. Flowers are not. Come on, somebody. Come on. You want a nice flower thing in your relationships? you got to plant some seeds. Come on, somebody. He cracked the box and fell over. He started crawling on his knees, and he got up to the kitchen table that had denied him before. His mother said, get in your box, and screamed at him. And his mother said, and he goes, all I knew is I wanted to escape my mother's reach. So I took a step for the first time. You thought my mother would have been happy. He looked down, he looked at his leg. I took a step for the first time since seven years of age. Met, he was paralyzed all the way down. And he said, the mother said, get in your box. He took another step. Mom, look. No, get back in your box. Some people are going to always want to keep you in their box because that's their view of you. 
They're used to you being one way. But like Michael Jackson said, I'm going to reveal another side of me. Come on, somebody. Hee-hee. Whatever. He took another step, and his mother started chasing him around the kitchen floor. Get in your box, BP. He ran around. True story. Documented story. He ran his way into freedom. His pastor talked about freedom. He lifted the lid. The lid was your label, your diagnosis. There's a spirit of power in him that he worked it. It developed in him to where it consumed him and where the cage and the conformity and the lid no longer owned him, but he became liberated because he decided to work it. Close your eyes for a minute. In fact, why don't we all stand for a minute? Why don't we all stand? We have a worship team. You guys did awesome today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You just try this for a minute. You try other things. I don't know your background, where you come from, or what you've been involved in. Some people are more expressive, some are not. But just try this. Just lift your hands to God. Just try it. You're not lifting your hands to any person. You're not in a denomination. You're in a place where people just really love God, and we honor Him. It's in Him we have our being. He's given us this incredible gift of life. They're playing there for a minute. I want you to think of three things that you're really grateful for and just tell them. Out loud, just tell them. I don't know what you're grateful for. I know your expectation's high, but let your appreciation be higher. What are you grateful for today? Think about those things. Feel them for a minute. Maybe you're grateful you could see. Maybe you're grateful you made it out of a traumatic heart attack. Maybe you're grateful for the spouse that you've had. Maybe you're grateful for the friends in your life and people that cherish you. Maybe you're really grateful today that because you were addicted or you were really bound or you were really struggling and Jesus made a way for you where there wasn't a way. Maybe you're really grateful for the job he's given you, the gifting and abilities he's given you. Lord, we don't come empty-handed today. We come with a grateful heart. And we love you today. Come on, 20 seconds, just give him thanks. Come on, let me hear you. Come on. Come on, tell him thanks. When I walk into a room and I've done something nice for somebody, I want them to say, thanks, Rex, that was awesome. You came into my room and, I did, you know, I'd want, you'd want me to say, King, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, God, for the beauty that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunities you've given us. Thank you for pursuing us with love. Thank you that your love is changing us. Your love is lifting lids. Your love is lifting intimidation off us, fear off us, addiction off us, poverty off us, scarcity, lack. Your love is lifting sickness and poverty off us. I thank you your love is liberating dreamers in here. Your love is liberating lovers in here. Your love is liberating leaders in here. Your love is liberating believers in here. I thank you, God, for the wealth of your presence and the spirit and gifts that are in this room within all this magnitude of people. Lord, we thank you that because of Jesus, we have access to your presence. If you say today, Rex, I've never given my life to Jesus, I would like to be in a relationship with that God. How do I do it? What do I need to do? I say to you that Jesus said it real simply. He says, as many as want to receive me, no force, but if you want to receive me, I will give you the power so that you can become what you've never become on your own. I'll forgive you of all your sin and wipe that slate clean forever, past, present, future sins. And I'll give you the power to be God's child where he'll put his DNA inside you and heaven will be your home. If you'd like to accept Jesus today, change your life, his love can produce peace prosperity money knows nothing about if you would like to have peace with God and forgiveness for your sins and failures today just lift your hand have courage lift your hand one two three thank you thank you I want to say a prayer for you real quick everyone just pray this prayer so they don't feel like they're by themselves say Jesus thank you for loving me thank you for loving me when I was your enemy Thank you for shedding your innocent blood for me so that I could be forgiven of all my guilt. I confess you today as my Savior. I need you 
Make me a new person and fill me with your spirit and life. I want to give myself to you and turn my back from serving the devil. I give you my life today. And I thank you, you give me all of you. Fill me with your peace and your presence. Thank you that I'm yours forever. And if you feel like I have lids, like fear is getting in my space, I really feel like to pray this thing. Fear has been running my life. Fear has been calling the shots more than faith. Fear is paralyzing you more than propelling you, or you're using, not using it, it's using you. And you say, I want this fear, this lid being broken off my life because I want to live in love, power, soundness of mind, clarity, energy. If you want that today, just lift your hands. You will look at all his hands. I want you to say this prayer with me, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn this back over to Pastor. Say, Lord, say like you got energy. Say, Lord, I feel you up in here today. I'm aware that your presence is here. I don't want to be limited. I don't want to be capped. Where fear has paralyzed me and put a lid on my potential and put a lean on my passion, I pray by your grace that you would lift off the lid. I don't want to stay the same. I want to grow and become all that you have for me. I want to walk worthy of the high call of God on my life. I renounce the spirit of fear. And I receive the spirit of faith. I believe this day that even though I feel fear, it will not control me. For I live by faith and not by feeling. My future is incredible. I will never be the same, and I'm going to a higher level of living with your grace. In Jesus' name. If you believe that, give the Lord a clap and a shout today. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.